0: All right, hello and welcome. What's going on? My name is Rich Ryan. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast. So today is a little bit different. It's the first time we're going to ever do a Q&A. So today, some Q&A. So I do want to thank everybody who did participate in my little Instagram poll. I had a bunch of really cool questions. I'm glad that uh, that you guys were uh, thinking about some different things. So a lot of these were going to be about the Rocks and Decafit space. Uh, the first two questions are very much about that, like how to how an endurance athlete would approach the first uh, the, the next 19 weeks of training when preparing for a high rocks. then we're going to talk a little bit more about mileage in terms of what is the optimal mileage for someone preparing for a sprint or a uh, high rocks event. Then we talk about when the difference in taking a protein shake versus eating real food and when you should do it. Let me talk about something else that I forget about now. And then we kind of talk about some online business. Oh, the other thing we did talk about was the, what I would change for my own training in in this past lead up, which was a very nice question to ask. Thank you. And then about some bit, some online business stuff. Um, so, uh, something that I haven't really had a chance to touch on, on the podcast before, but I do feel passionate about it and I have opinions about it. Uh, maybe not facts, but definitely opinions. So, Cool. Again, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast in general and listening to this one today. We will come back with some screaming content for you these next couple of weeks. I've been talking to some really cool guests and I'm really excited for these next couple of weeks pulling into um, the, the second half of this season. And also we got a really... Cool idea coming, a little collaboration in terms of some of the bigger names that you might know in podcasting in the obstacle racing space. We're going to come together. We're going to do a, a preview for the U.S. National Series race in Utah coming up um, this weekend. It's going to be a preview show, but kind of a fun game. You can check that out on uh, Reinforced Running YouTube, and I'll probably set out a bonus episode of this here podcast. Cool. Let's get into it. Here is me. all right what's going on so we have a couple questions that were sent in thanks for everybody who submitted questions we can't get to all of them so we're going to grab a couple that stood out in particular i'll I'll make sure to reach out to all of those who did submit a question and just to to answer directly to you because i appreciate you i appreciate you listening i appreciate you participating i appreciate that you're looking to get better at obstacle course racing and in hybrid racing so this first question is going to be based around the hybrid racing space. So the question came from Nathan Ritchie, and he said, "Given 19 weeks, how would you structure a training block for a high rocks event?" And this is a good question. And one thing that he did make note of is that he is he does have an endurance background, and that that, that is going to matter uh, because that would really kind of shift where the focus of the actual training needs to go. Uh, so if you're coming from an endurance background you're, you're going to have to prepare yourself to work at a really high rate of your strength, where if you're a strength athlete, you obviously need to improve your endurance a little bit more. So, um, coming from that endurance background, it's going to be really important to put strength as a big focus first. So I would make a hard commitment to eight to 12 weeks of a strength progression that would work through all different, um, phases of training. So in particular, the way that I would structure this would be more like having the first, the first phase would be more of like a hypertrophy phase. So something that's gonna work in that eight to 12 to 15 rep range and for all compound lifts. And I would make it pretty simple doing things like three by 10 shoulder press, three by 12 bent row, three by 10 back squat, something heavy, uh, the same thing with like deadlifts and, or just straight leg deadlifts, something along those lines, pick three to five compound movements and work in that 10 to 12 rep range. As an endurance athlete, you may find that you are gaining some muscle without even needing to change your diet at all. Most people are, are going to have to put themselves into a surplus, but if you're a newer strength athlete, you might just slap on some muscle <laughs> and that would be great, especially for high rocks. And muscle in general, for endurance athletes, we don't need to steer away from it, we just need to train for endurance as we continue to put on muscle, we need to build those pathways and they are that you can do, you can build pathways through your muscle, which you cannot do for fat to help deliver oxygen to those areas that those newer areas that you're going to be um, moving along. So just so you, you might put on some, some size, and some weight might come along with it. But really, in 19 weeks. Unless you're really committing to putting yourself in a in a significant surplus every day, you're probably not going to put on too much weight. So maybe if you're lucky, a pound or two or three of muscle in this time, in this 12 weeks, that would be absurd uh progress. And but you, you want to get stronger. So you'd start in that hypertrophy phase. And then from there, if you do put on a muscle from that eight to 15 rep range, then we wanna train that muscle to get a little bit stronger. So then you wanna move down into something that's more in that three to five rep range to work on your absolute strength now that you have a little bit more muscle, you wanna train that muscle for absolute strength. So this would be just going a little bit heavier, uh, much heavier I should say on back squats and deadlifts in particular, get the big compound movements in. And then after another about four to five weeks, I'd move into something that's more like a power phase or moving back into that more strength endurance phase, but really commit yourself to putting putting down eight to 12 weeks, if not all 16, if not 16 weeks of a strict strength progression, not going into the gym and just thinking that you need to just do a little bit here or there, just pushing the sled here or there. Um, you're going to want to get stronger. You're going to want to learn how to get stronger. You want to see if you can get some neural adaptation from, from doing these strength movements, which will translate directly into a lot of these, these high rock things like the lunges, the wall balls, the sled push, the sled pull. That's just teaching your body how to do it. So if nothing else, if you don't get that much stronger or that much bigger from a physiological standpoint, you will learn how to do it and you will learn how to move it. And those type of pathways, that type of training will translate. So it's got to be strength first. It's got to be strength first on this. So I would do three, two to three workouts per week, maybe two to start and adding a third uh, as you move along, uh, as you start to get a little less sore, as it kind of moves forward. So... In terms of your aerobic work I would keep aerobic work about the same as where it has been so you're gonna you might have to find time for these strength workouts um, and then splitting them into doubles if that's what, what you need to do I wouldn't change the aerobic stuff really at all I wouldn't I wouldn't trade uh, strength for the aerobic work so if that means working at doubles or just um, putting on longer aerobic bouts, on days where you can, I think that's what what you need to do. So you have to keep aerobic work pretty much about the same. One thing I would change about the aerobic work is I would move about an hour of that work from the start, this is just generally speaking, to the machines. So working on the rower, working on the skier, if you have an assault bike, spend some time on an assault bike, just to get familiar with how these things move and how these things work. And on race day, you're going to have to really feel things out on on how it's going typically on these on the rower or the skier and you're going to have to go more on your intuition. So you're going to have to learn pacing a little bit and you're going to have to learn form a little bit. So I would find some independent resource that is specifically for rowing or for the skier and just follow some of their guidelines um, when it comes to the ways to progress your rower. So, well, a couple of the resources I like to use um, there's a great blog and YouTube page called Dark Horse Rowing, very, very specific to rowers. Um, they teach a lot about uh, how to use the skier, how to use the, the rowing erg, because they are more involved in that CrossFit space. So, they will speak directly to you and how you need to get better at the actual rower itself. Um, there are a couple books on rowing that I picked up along the way as well. Uh, I think it's pretty simple. I think they're just called the basics of indoor rowing. So just Google that, read that, read the form things and, and just help and and spend time on those machines, making yourself more familiar with them. So taking an hour. So if you were doing five hours a week of aerobic work, you know, running an hour, five days a week, either chop off 20 minutes of your runtime and put it on the aerobic work on the... Um, on the machines, on the rower or the skier, just to get familiar with it and not replacing anything. And if you're keeping your heart rate in that same zone, you're going to get the same aerobic benefits and it might serve you a little bit better in terms of longevity as a runner anyway. But if you can find time to add this hour elsewhere, so if you are still running an hour a day and you can finish with 20 minutes on the rower or you can do 20 minutes on the rower in the morning, I I would make that a staple, making sure that you're getting on these machines two to three times a week just to get familiar with them. Um, again, it's still going to build that rowing, uh, volume. Um, it's going to build your aerobic volume. It's going to make you a better athlete in general. So spending time there. Okay. So you got your strength and then you got your aerobic work is the exact same. So right now we are kind of adding things on top of what, of potentially what your plan is and making sure it's more specific on things like form and more specific on things like skill and technique for both the strength and the machines. In terms of the quality of work that you're gonna be doing on the running, for these first eight to 12 weeks, I would do one workout that is quality and then one maintenance workout. So the quality workout could be anything where you really feel like you you, you need to be. So for this in particular, I would probably do a, um, like a bottom up approach where we're starting from a faster, uh, like the faster end and moving into, the uh, slower, more strength based running for this in particular. I mean, you can do it either way. You can start with the longer, uh, like tempo runs and work your way into faster, sharper reps, or you can start at the sharper reps and work your way into the longer stuff. The longer stuff is actually going to be a little bit more race specific than something like fast quarters or fast two hundreds. So if you want to be really specific with your pacing and your efforts and how they're going to feel toward high rocks, doing a bottom up, uh, on your, um, running progression is probably a better place to start. So what that means, I would start with 200 meter fast reps, 400s at mile pace or 3K pace, and moving like anywhere from the 400, 800, 600s, things like that, and then moving up into more of that threshold pace and then kind of working into tempo pace. And then for your maintenance workout per week, some fast sprints, or maybe things like a cut down run. So something that's, again, that's kind of on the edge of those margins. So. That would be for those first eight to 12 weeks. So really kind of working on all the different pieces right now, if you can kind of if we zoom out and look at what we're talking about. We're talking about building the different pieces of what it's gonna take for a Hirox event. We're not necessarily doing the Hirox event over and over and over, or just doing the compromise work that we're gonna see in a Hirox event and doing it over and over and over because we want to build the pieces first so that when it's time to train specific, everything is at a higher level. If we just start doing all of the things, all of the ones, like we'll get better at those things, yes, for sure. But the ceiling on which you're you're able to reach will, will come much quicker if you don't get stronger first, if you don't get a bit faster first, um, because you can't get you can't lift as heavy as you possibly can if you're doing a high rocks workout because you're going to be too exhausted. You can't run as fast as you possibly can in the middle of a high rocks workout because you're so because of the strength demands. So you're that's going to blunt your ability to to get really fast or really strong. So you want to do those independently before you start to work into this compromised work. So a a caveat with that, um, on the strength side of things, I would push that sled a lot, (laughs) I would push and pull that sled a lot and probably have it as part of, uh, every strength workout to some capacity. It doesn't need to be the 50 meters at 375 If, if you're doing the pro weight, but it's, um, should be something get familiar with what that feels like, get familiar with what it's going to feel like a little bit heavier, a little bit lighter, pushing it longer, pushing it shorter and, and work on that pull. If you can get a, a rope that, that will simulate something that the high rocks will be, um, you can kind of paste some things together like the, like a TRX handle. And then with the like rope pull down handle that you'd have, that you'd see like on a, like, a tricep press down that you'd see on like a cable machine, you can attach those things together a little bit using a carabiner and you can still get that that grip that you would get on the rope. And the little bit of the length of the TRX handle, if you could put two or three TRX handles there and then have that at the end, that's even better. You can manage to put these things together without needing to go ahead and get that rope. But I would do the push or pull at some effort pretty often. Pretty often with this. So, okay, now that we have all of the pieces kind of built together in the last four to six weeks is then when you want to put together really these kind of compromised working, compromise running workouts, which are going to be very much steered toward high rocks. So what's great about the high rocks and the hybrid races in general is that they're predictable. We know what the race is going to be like. We know the distance, we know the weight. So you got to take that and use it to your advantage when setting up some sort of progression. It's harder in regular obstacle course racing because we, don't quite know all of the de- demands uh, and the race doesn't follow the race season follows a kind of funny flow. So sometimes you're doing sprints, sometimes you're doing B sometimes or stadiums, like they're all over the place. So It's really hard to put a hard set progression and know what it's going to be, especially when these courses are different. If you're traveling for the races, whatever. So it's a little bit harder on the OCR side to be very specific, but in, in high rocks, it's really not, we know what it's going to be. So I would use a real progression. Like, a regular running progression, if you were to use it from a threshold perspective, right, you would do maybe three by seven minutes at threshold pace with one minute rest. And then the next week you would do three by eight minutes or four by seven minutes, something that's going to be a little bit more. So you want to progressively overload so that your body gets a little bit stronger each time and you can continue to grow with each workout. So you can do that with these high rocks workouts. And I would do that. And I would do it very much around uh, the pushes the push and the pull early on, just so you are familiar with that running is going to feel like after that. And then I would do it near the end um, and finishing with with some sort of a wall-wall finisher. And I would work on the lunges um, on the end piece as well. So I would, I'd build the progressions, especially for your first time as a uh, coming from an endurance background. The pushes and the lunges are probably going to be the hardest ones um, as that's where the strength athletes usually, usually thrive in this event. So it could be something uh simple it could be running 800 meters hard think like 5k effort and then pushing that sled for 30 meters and then running back another 800 at a race effort so you're getting about a mile and 30 meters 30 meters of work so that would be whatever seven to eight minutes of work so you can take of, of hard work and then take about two minutes off of that so you can do three rounds one week the next round you can do the next week you can do four rounds or extend the run extend the sled push extend the weight on the sled push itself to make it progressive so it doesn't just feel like random popcorn type of workouts that you would get at your local crossfit gym where you jump in and it has nothing to do with the workout that you did the last week or the week before it's just the whole unknown and unknowable thing that's not high rocks. You can, we know exactly what it is. So plan for it. So make sure you're making a plan for it. And that would be something simple with the lunges, right? They don't have to be rocket science. It could be 750 meter row, 800 meter run hard, uh, fifties walking lunges, and then 400 meter run. And then next three rounds of that, and then do four rounds of that the next the next week so that's what these last four to six weeks would really look like from my perspective and putting in that work it's going to be a little bit more race specific making sure you're spending time pushing and pulling using the go doing the lunges and doing some wall balls uh wall balls i would always use a little bit heavier weight than what it's going to be for the event itself it's really hard to simulate what those last hundred wall balls are going to feel like because it's hard to get that exhausted in training but a thirty-pound ball, if you're using used to using a twenty, is so hard. And same for if you're used to using a fourteen, using a uh, an eighteen or a twenty, it's going to be really, really hard. And it's gonna be, and it's gonna feel more what, what it's gonna be like at the end of a high rocks if you make it much harder up front. So I would probably do. So you can be creative here and, and use your your ability to recover as your gauge in what you want to do for these. Uh, these compromise style workouts or these race specific workouts. So you could do the workouts themselves, like Tuesday, do your compromise day, and then Friday or Saturday, do just a regular running workout day where we're probably we're going to be working on uh, threshold or longer tempo stuff. Or you could do, you could split them and do a mixed workout and then follow it with a threshold running workout on both of those days. I kind of like that idea because you're going to be working at uh, under greater fatigue and doing these like threshold workouts after a compromised workout is a great way just to understand what your body might feel like and the intensity that you're going to put out there and the response that you're going to get from that will all be about the same, but the pace might not be the same if you were to do it fresh. So that's kind of what that would work look like. And then just last week, taper it up, (laughs) just a quick taper, zip that thing up, so that's the general idea. So just to kind of recap on what that would be, um, for someone looking for this 19, 18, 19 week progression through high rocks, would be build the pieces first, make sure that you are going to be strong, that you're going to stay fast, that you're going to be aerobically fit and build them all separately. Uh, make them as strong as they can be on, on top of them, make it, make each, of those areas the best possible product so when you put together those pieces to to make the final product all of the parts are quality you want to have quality parts all the way through in every piece of your training when it comes to high rocks and that's how you do it. it's hard to do it um, doing all the things at once um that's just a general thumb for anything so build the pieces first then stitch it together in those last four to six weeks and just be a monster and also push that sled push that sled a lot Cool. Well, I appreciate your question. Um, this next question is is similar in concept, but it, it is different. And at first I was going to lump these two questions kind of together and answer it as one, but they're not necessarily the same once I thought more and more about it. So the question is like, what's the ideal mileage for training for sprints uh, in OCR, uh, Spartan sprints or During a or for a high rocks event, so this is from uh, our guy Jimmy Hughes, and this question in general, I don't love the idea of mileage recommendations for anyone or anything, just because that they don't necessarily always translate across the board. Like your training age matters quite a bit for this. Your ability to recover, your actual age can matter when when it comes to this. How much? how much time you have, how well you respond to it. There's a lot of different factors that play into how much mileage you should run. So just because you met someone who ran a 230 marathon and they did it off of 130 miles per week, that doesn't mean that's what every 230 marathoner is doing. It's not a prerequisite to running a fast time. So just in general, I would steer away from thinking of things in terms of how much you you should do and just focus on like how much more you can do than what you had just done and if you, eventually that'll progressively build up and up so the question is like doing as much mileage as you can is always typically the recommended but just building up slowly and slowly more slowly over time but for this question uh, I'm going to be a little bit more specific around the the question where it comes to the high rocks and uh, the sprint and, and why I, I kind of think that so it's, it's important to note that in general, I'm going to want to use the 80-20 principle that is just kind of a basic rule of thumb when it comes to how to split up your intensity work and your easy uh, volume work. So that would be 80% of your, your time is spent doing easy work, 20% is building on the more intensity. So again, this is uh, uh, not a hard set rule, like this is just kind of very generalized, like if you do 28% uh, and uh, hard work, that won't necessarily be detrimental to you. But if you're starting, if it's like 50-50, that's, probably not going to work. So it doesn't need to be 20% of your intensity being that way. And for, uh, Jimmy in, in general, I know that Jimmy, you're a CrossFit guy and there's definitely some, um, on, and a runner guy. That's for sure. Uh, on there's going to be intensity. It's going to be kind of baked into your, your programming because it's kind of like the things that you kind of like to do. So I would just be weary of spending too much time in that intensity zone, um, and making sure you're getting that aerobic work in. And the aerobic work, again, can be done running or it can be done on the machines as well. But specifically toward running, you are going to have to run some sort of miles because the event itself is an, an 8K, uh, it's a 5K or an 8K. So you're going to need to put time on your feet just so that your body doesn't break down when you're doing your faster workouts. So the 80% of the 80-20 rule is meant to help you become stronger, to help you build those pathways that we talked about earlier so the the oxygen can get to the muscles that you are building when you're doing your strength work. And it's just gonna prepare your, your musculoskeletal system to take on more damage. And that's really the biggest reason you should do more miles. Uh, aerobically, you'll definitely develop and can, will continue to develop, but you can get that a lot of different ways. And eventually you'll kind of reach a, so like a, a plateau or a ceiling when it comes to your aerobic capability. And then it all kind of comes down to how much, um, how much your musculoskeletal system can hold up. And that's when you can start to layer on a lot more intensity work is when you start to do more miles and the more intensity you can get, ideally the better results you'll get if you are doing all the other things like recovering properly to your advantage. But for these events, I would say you're gonna want to be in, to have enough miles built up so that you can spend three to four miles worth of quality work in that like, Aerobic threshold zone, the lactic threshold zone, and what that is, it's like your ability to buffer that lactic acid to help you maintain a faster pace for a longer duration. So, that kind of that the threshold is going to be anywhere between uh, five and twenty minutes of a rep, and it's going to be a pace that's going to be comfortable but hard. So, think like a anywhere from like a fifteen k, or if you're on the very fast end of running. Uh, it would be like 10 mile or half marathon pace even. So the the pace is definitely going to range, but the feeling is like that comfortable, hard pace. And that's, and I would reserve the threshold work for high rocks and even the sprints in particular, because we never get so fast. The, the running is never that fast of those events that you need to be sharp, like in a mile or something like that. So you, you can kind of stay f- far far away from that really fast work, unless you're doing full on sprints for like short 10 second bursts. But in general, like running quarters and 200s, it would help, it's definitely gonna help you become faster, but if it's gonna help your endurance, which is what you're gonna need in your lasting power, especially in high rocks, you're gonna need to work on that, that lactic threshold. So I would build enough miles so that you can, at any given time, you can do three or four miles worth of quality work at the, in the threshold zone. So you could do 10% of the total mileage per week that you're adding up is how much threshold work, threshold volume you can do. So if you're doing 30 miles, you can do three miles of threshold work safely. I mean, you obviously you can do more threshold work whenever you want, but you won't be able to do it very well. You'll probably fall apart physically and you probably won't recover because you'd be so beat up from it so it won't do anything so you're going to want to be about in that 10 percent range so again 30 30 to 40 miles per week will ensure that you're able to run at three to four miles of intensity work at that threshold area safely and comfortably so i would say 30 to 40 miles per week (laughs) so at least that there is uh would be the very floor for anyone who really wants to take that that, that serious when it comes to building um, a good endurance engine for a high rocks or a sprint specific event, and um, and again, that's not the ceiling. Like I said, the ceiling is as many as much as you can do as you, as long as you're slowly, gradually, progressively building over time. Then as much as you can. But right now, thirty to forty. And Jimmy, shouts to you. But no more age groups. You're an elite now. Elite guy, Jimmy Hughes. Check it off. All right. So on to the next question. So this question is a nutrition-based question from uh, Zach Gajewski, I'm sure that's not how it's pronounced, but that's okay. So with, his question is a nutrition question it says, when, when should you eat a protein shake versus when you should eat real food? So this question is like a more of a supplement question. And uh, it kind of goes into what your idea of healthy eating would be versus processed versus non processed. So in general, starting from here, a protein shake, and real food uh, will provide protein no matter what. The one thing here to recognize and to speak about is that there is different levels of quality in terms of how well, your body is going to be able to absorb the protein based on the amino acid profile in them, and and whey protein is actually the most uh, available to us and the, the the easiest to digest and the highest quality protein that we can possibly get is whey protein. And then it ends up it's like dairy, and then right below that is is eggs, and then I think it is uh, any type of meat. Meat is all pretty similar, so they're all pretty closely bunched up at the top. But, um, whey protein is a really good quality source of, 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 protein for you. You can get protein in a lot of things. I mean, like if you're eating even like a lot of rice, a lot of bread, um, those pancakes, like they all have protein in them. The amino acid profile that those type of whole grain proteins have, uh, they, they're just not as, um, optimal for your absorption and the processing of it as like a way or meat would be, you can still get it, but you might want to eat a little bit more. So if you're, if you're depending on grains a lot more to get your protein or, uh, non-meat sources, if you're a vegan, vegetarian, um, and, and those are just off the table, you might want to take in even a little bit more, uh, protein from those sources, but being careful that your carbs don't get a lot of whack. And it's just, it's a whole equation there, but uh, that's, it's just something to be worth said that, uh, the protein that you're getting from the whey from the whey and the protein that you're getting from the real food, it's really not different. If anything, the protein from the whey is probably a little bit better. But with that, there's definitely processing to whey. I mean, it is a huge process to make it start from dairy and then end up as powder. Uh, Sometimes they use dyes, sometimes they use sweet, they always use sweeteners because that stuff tastes terrible. When it used to be uh, back in the day, oh my god, I remember my brother bought like a 12 pack of like there were uh, detour bars. I think this must've been nine, 2000. No. Yeah. 2000. And they were so disgusting that w- they were in our, our cabinet s- until like probably 2010. And I would, and I would eat a protein bar every morning for breakfast, big power bar guy, vanilla power bar. That's the bomb. I'm sure if I had it now, it would be awful, but it, was just, it would make me feel good. Nostalgia. And you see balance bars a lot too. Those are, that, that was my thing. And I'm like, a connoisseur when it comes to bars. If you have a question about a protein bar, I've had it. I've had thoughts about it. I've thought about it while I was eating it, and I've thought about it later as I was eating something else, and I have a whole, like, in my head, whole idea of the best protein bars. So now when new protein bars come out, I'm eating them. I love them. I love them. So the protein shake itself, it's gonna go through some processing for sure, but it's a good protein source. So there really doesn't necessarily need to be a time that matters as long as the quality of the protein that you're getting in and you're getting in as much is about the same. So really, the most optimal time to take a protein shake is before you work out and because the the timing in which you get your protein in also matters. So if you are looking to gain muscle, let's say or just optimize optimize your recovery. You can only really have that muscle building signal run uh, a couple hours at a time, and that's why people say if you don't, if you you need to kind of space out your protein, or you can't absorb it all, um, you'll absorb it for sure. Everything gets absorbed once that get once your food gets into your small intestine, it's getting absorbed. They're like doesn't just like like weight doesn't just come come out when when you're processing things through just. End up in the toilet doesn't work that way but it'll get absorbed but it might not be shuttled to the places it it needs to go optimally for uh, muscle growth or for uh, recovery because and there's 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 no storage for protein so it does get stripped away and it does kind of get moved through the the body without um hitting the target and what you might want it to do so the timing of things do matter a little bit so when you space it out throughout the day having it before your meal Um, is a great way to make sure that you're getting your protein in across the, throughout the whole spectrum of the day. And it's, it's going to be a little bit easier on the stomach. It's going to, um, absorb pretty quickly into your system. So you can kind of even start that recovery process before your workout's even done. So when it, or so the, the only time that the timing would typically matter in terms of directly after is that. If you are taking it with some sort of carbohydrate, it would the it would help shuttle the protein into you um, the amino acids I should say into your muscles even quicker than if you just took it by itself or not after workout. You're a little bit more insulin sensitive, so it does shuttle things around. It does move the their move uh, the process just happens a little bit quicker. So if you had a second workout that you were going to do that day, then, then the timing of the recovery piece, um, for the carbohydrates in particular, and then the protein will matter a little bit, but when it comes to, uh, a typical day, I, the, the, the timing of when you're, or the, the source of the protein really doesn't matter. So I would say this is really a personal thing for what's better or when to take a protein shake versus real food. Um, a protein shake is great to help with. To take the load off of planning to take the load off of prep um because it is just a little bit easier to kind of make things and and get it done and it tastes great now it tastes awesome not like back in the detour bar day not even close to that way better now and um so it's up to you i personally i don't take i take a pro- i add a protein powder in the morning with my oatmeal just to get again that quality source of uh, protein high in the morning and to start the to start off my day with with the protein and then i'll take it at the end of the day just to end my day with some protein and just to have that um with me at uh, as i go into bed like that's where the casein protein is supposed to be a little bit uh better for that because it takes it's a little bit slower to process but way does just as well too but what one thing that i do that is bomb and everyone else should do is i make a protein pudding quote unquote so just put a scoop of protein into i use a mason jar it's just what i have Uh, And then I just put like a couple of dashes of water, like almost no water in there. Some water, but very little, like it's going to be less than you think. And then I just stir the, stir the crap out of it. And it turns into this really thick pudding. I don't know how it's it's like frosting. It's so good. So I'll do that and I'll, I'll add some bananas or some peanut butter if I need some fats for my day. And it's just like this amazing, delicious dessert. And I'm going to have it like right now, as soon as I'm done with this. Um, done talking into this microphone because it's that good and it's a great way to get protein in. so it's called, it's all protein pudding, just mix it up. Mm, so good, great way to end your day. So get that protein in whenever you can. Uh, the, the source doesn't really matter as long as it's a good quality source so it's really uh, dependent for, for you um, which is what I could have said just like from the start not had to say all lot of this stuff. but appreciate the question. So this next question, is a, a kind of a, a personal question toward m- my specific training. It was asked by OCR Jeter, and he asked what I would have altered for my training for High Rocks um, or Decafit. So starting from about January to uh, right now, which is July, well, the last race was the end of week, end of June in High Rocks. I, I did want to make that focus from, from January to March. I was pretty hurt. I was hurt. I, I was really hurt, to the point where I couldn't run at all, like my I just had something really nasty in my glute might have been a fracture, it might have been uh, I don't know, went to the PT told me weak glutes, go figure. Um, But then Uh, I just was able to row a lot and I was able to strength train still because it didn't hurt anything that wasn't impact. So I was able to do a lot more. So my, my, my season, which I will consider this a season because it would be, uh, I stopped racing in June. I'm not going to race again until September. I'm taking a little bit of time just to kind of chill out and work on things that need to work on now. But in that time, it's not a tremendous block of time from, from even January to June. I mean, that's about six months. But looking at the scope of what I want to do for High Rocks and Decafit, it's like years down the road, right? So in terms of what I could have potentially done within that block, is is there wasn't a ton that I could have done to have changed um, or really have made things any better. And I, I, I couldn't have done more. I don't think more would have been the answer. Um, because I do want to reserve that to build up over this, over the year and have the end of the year be a little bit more, uh, voluminous, a little bit more, uh, so I can have a little bit more intensity for the back half of the season, which would be November and December. So in terms of doing more, and I was still kind of coming back in from the injury, I, that wasn't necessarily the answer. I couldn't really go through any type of specific muscle build or any type of gain in my, uh body composition because i didn't know i wanted to see i wanted to figure out what the race was going to be like before i made any type of drastic change to to my body um and i wanted to to ensure that, that was something that i would have to do um before i did it because i wanted to see what kind of power i could put out and what the way i could have trained now because it's just easier <laughs> because why wouldn't i want to do that why would i not want to change everything um, just on a whim when I could go into this and be perfectly fine and, and be right where I need to be and not have to worry about it. Turns out that is some of the feedback that I got from these races. Like, okay, I do need to be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So right now I'm putting myself into a muscle building phase, um, where I'm, you know, eating at a surplus, uh, the eating plan is huge. The strength training plan is, is it, like, it all kind of works. So that'll, that'll be fine. I just doing a rubber work, but I didn't, I couldn't really necessarily put that in this first part of the season. So what I would have done separately. So with that I was happy with how I trained. <laughs> I think I did a good job. I think I prepared myself as much as I could physically and mentally. I spent a lot of time doing it, spent as much time as I think I could have with the with the resources I had. I went out of my way to find a sled. I have three three gym memberships. Like and one they all serve different purposes. Um but I have three to stitch all these things together. And I live in like a major city that has a lot of gems and I still needed to spend my time like in a bunch of different freaking places, stitching it all together because I uh, only had <laughs> so much resources. So spent a lot of time, spent a lot of energy going after it. Happy how I've raced, happy about my efforts, happy about all that. But looking back, I think I would have been a little bit more patient with my running. Uh, I, I had built a huge base of training over 2020 mm-hmm. So, the it wasn't as much of a barrier mentally or even physically, honestly. After coming back from injury, than I thought it would be. I was almost back; like my fingers almost snapped, and I almost felt like I was ready to go again. Which isn't typically the route that I've had in the past coming back from injuries, where it seems like I have to kind of rebuild everything. It didn't feel like that because I think I cross trained my butt off, I strength trained my butt off, and then I was just able to kind of go back out and do it but I shouldn't have, <laughs> even though I like went out and, and tried to, uh, kind of get myself back to the, the place where I was, I definitely shouldn't have done that. So uh, and I, it, it put my, it hurt my recovery and, and kind of led to some really avoidable injury off of just running like 20 minutes further than I should have done on a day where I, I should have been like recovering a little bit more and just doing that consistently. It's probably like that every day. I was probably running like 10 or 20 minutes, a little bit too far every single day um, without getting the recovery I needed um, because it just felt good. And I was happy to be back out there. The weather was nice too. So I was, I was, I was just trying to run, man. Just let me run, bro. But I would have, I would have been a little bit more patient with that. Um, and that cost me quite a bit from m- uh, mid May, which was the first deck of fit, uh, a week before that was when I kind of had this l- other little hip flare up and I hadn't done any quality work the um, week leading into DecaFit, fit and then any at all until uh, quality work on running on, until High Rocks Orlando. Um, so just not being patient. I, I, I missed out on three or four weeks as High Rocks Orlando was, I think, three weeks, uh, four weeks after the, the first um, – Decafit, and I could have used those weeks of training. <laughs> I could have desperately used those to to have, to have run a little bit better, run a little bit faster, um, and put more compromised running work uh, to prepare for high rocks. But I was really trying to put, stitch it all together, doing a bunch of other things, um, which worked out fine. But just being a little bit more patient with my build back on my run would have been definitely something I would have changed. Uh, also, something that I would have changed almost, in, almost immediately is I would have... Spent more time like learning about the skills of the things that I was about to take on. Uh, I come, I come from a running background, but I've also done CrossFit for several years. I've started doing CrossFit in, like 2011. I was like, I was coaching. I, I have coached CrossFit. Um, I'm, I was obsessed with it. I, I love it, and I have like really dove into it. So I thought I knew a lot of the stuff already, but I, I was, I was wrong on that too. I thought that I could just. With the the knowledge that I have on a rower or a skier or doing wall balls and doing lunges, I thought those things would translate fairly well. Um, for some things, they did, like the wall balls; those came back no problem. Um, the lunges, I was kind of hurt because of my stupid hip thing about being a dummy and running too too much too soon, <clears throat> dummy runners. Um, but I most of, I thought the rower would be fine, I thought the skier would be fine, and there's just like a better way to do it. And I was I was just kind of. Rowing the same form that I always had done, um, and and just kind of making up workouts as I went on, and didn't didn't spend much time learning about pace or uh, looking at splits and the the strokes per minute were just it was really arbitrary, right? Like, and there's a way to do the rowing the same way that we do our running, right? Like if you run, you run uh, benchmark five k, then you put you you figure out what your easy run zones are. Uh, based off of this 5k all out effort. And then you can kind of figure out your other workout zones. The, this pace based off what you can do. You can do that in rowing too. Like putting together like a mean 2k uh, like time trial, which I just did in our brutal. Uh, so if you haven't done one of that, do it, it's awesome. And then from that, you had you can then have your zones that you are looking to aim for based off of your 2K, it's the same freaking thing. And the and the form around the row, it's a little bit more nuanced than I think we um, imagined more than I imagined. And I thought I knew what I was doing. It turns out like I, I didn't really. And it's the form I see at, uh, at these High Rocks and Decafit events is pretty bad <laughs> in terms of the rower. And like just objectively speaking, they're just not good. So I know not that many people are taking the time to look into this and to to do the rowing and skiing a little bit better, a little bit smarter. Um, I would have done that too. I would have dove in a little bit more and been a little bit more uh, patient and l- spent a lot more time learning about the ins and outs of the the machines themselves. So, uh, but so other than that, wouldn't really change too much. Like I said. I'm going to just start beefing up and that's the, what I'm gonna do moving forward, so cool. So next question here is more on the business side of things, which is, wow, that's pretty cool. Business question on this fitness podcast, but really it's just about talking about the online business space. Like what, what are some recommendations for a trainer who wants to move into the online space? And, th- this is obviously a huge question. And I'm by no means a business consultant uh, by any means, but I, I've I'm, I've been here and I'm just doing it. I'm, I'm working my way through. This is my own business. This is the only thing that I do. Um, so I, I had this idea of how to go after something and just like learn the ins and outs of what to do, to do what not to do for my own personal experience. So... When it comes to wanting to move into the online space there it's, it, it's going to be crowded, right? Like it's a crowded space and it can be a little daunting because it's hard to get found. It, it's hard. It, it's just like a weird, big, crazy ocean of attention and trying to get seen in it is Really overwhelming. And it's really easy to look at what everyone else is doing or, or the people who you perceive as being successful and just trying to replicate those things. But they're already being done. Um, the 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 person who is consuming, marketing who's consuming the the things that are coming at them they're always going to be a little bit ahead of ahead of the 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 marketers or the influencers right and like the next person that comes in and just tries to do the same thing that someone's done them before everyone kind of knows it and has seen it already so just doing those type of things like it it can make you spend a ton of time just doing stuff that just absolutely doesn't matter and having an online business doesn't mean having an online following it's not they are completely different things To have an online following is, you know, being able to get the attention of the greater public and having something that is going to help people identify with you almost instantly, right? There's some sort of immediate value that people can kind of grab from someone that has a big following. They have a big following for a reason. Like, they either either have some sort of talent, they figured out the system and have made that happen, which don't waste your time. Don't do that. Don't try to hack. Don't try to hack your way to a big following. It, that doesn't make sense. There's a time where like you can pay for advertising to get awareness or something along those lines and being seen matters, but like, of, like fostering a following through either um, like pay, paying for it or for uh, like, like trying to trick the algorithm. It's, then like you get a bit of a uh, social like you, you get some social capital based off of like this number that's following but doesn't mean you know anything it doesn't mean you're a good coach like it just means like that you figured one thing out that's not the actual thing that you're t- saying that you're good at like if your Instagram was about ways to make your Instagram grow then you should hack the system and show people that do that but if your Instagram is about being an online coach tricking the algorithm doesn't mean Anything, it doesn't mean a lick. So that's one thing to keep in mind. A following, uh, a big online following, is not the same as a big online business. And this is for me, and I'm not just saying. I like don't have a, I don't have a huge online following. I would, I would say, but, and I'm not saying that that's the way that it should be. And if people who have a big following and are being su- successful coaches, they shouldn't do it that way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it doesn't need to be the. They're not exclusive to each other. So you don't even necessarily have to have a website. Like you don't need to do all of these things. You don't need to build up big systems and processes right from the start. And like get, putting the cart in front of the horse and just trying to do all these things that you think a big online business do, or any online business, any business at all does. Like just do it simple. Like just find one piece of software or one thing that's going to make it easy for you to help deliver the program and then find people to deliver it to. And again, it doesn't have to be on Instagram that could be at your local gym that could be at a local running, um, running club. It could be the friends that, you know, that you've made in the sport. <laughs> it should, it could be anybody. It doesn't necessarily have to be through Instagram, through podcasts, through YouTube. Like those are places that you can get found and it's a great way to build accountability for yourself, but. It doesn't have to be. You can be accountable. You can be accountable and not even know how to use a computer. But if you if you know what you're doing as a coach and you can speak to it and talk to people and, and harness their trust because of your knowledge and because of the person you are, then you really don't need any of this online stuff. <laughs> you can just convince people to to let you do it for them. So this could be anywhere. When I first started, I was my best lead generation would be at the gyms that I went to. I didn't even have to go to the gyms and make an actual like a pitch or a presentation or, or do, or come and be like, Hey, um, I'm, I'm running, I'm starting a group run. I was just there and I was just talking to people and I was just being myself. And I was just uh, around these athletes who were passionate about the same things that I was passionate about. And then like things kind of worked themselves out like people the you get your name out there a little bit as you're doing some coaching. Some people will get it. Some people will understand. Some people, you're the only person that they'll think of. They won't even use an online source to find an OCR coach or running coach because what does that even mean? <laughs> like who would, would that even show up if you went? How, how would you someone even search for that? So they might just be like, oh yeah, you told me you do some coaching. I was thinking I might need some coaching. I was going to wait and next time I saw you at the gym, here you are. There you go. And then right there, that's a great way to kind of start it. So, kind of rambling, which I guess is just like the fifty minutes worth of rambling. Really, it, it has been, but just don't overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be a thing. It doesn't have to be a massive undertaking right from the start. And don't get me wrong, I don't. I I didn't necessarily do it this way. <laughs> I did it a little bit like this. I did think of it as a big undertaking. I did try to do a lot of the the things like. I got a logo right away. I got a website right away. I spent a bunch of money on a bunch of stuff I didn't have to. And that was also a barrier for me coming into is like how much money to to invest into something to make legitimate. But that was one part that was sort of important to me that, that doesn't necessarily need to be important at all. It was like the, 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 it, the website, which was absolutely terrible, absolutely awful for several years. And right now it's like a little bit, less than awful, and I'm happy about it. But back then I was, had this website that probably did more harm than good, because it sucked. <laughs> and you could be doing that same thing on like your social media, right? Like just doing the things that you think you should be doing, but they, um, they're they not they're, this not good. And you're gonna look back and be like, oh wow, that was a big waste of time, and, and that was super not good. So just honing your craft and getting in, in front of people, um, and just making it as simple as possible, and doing the thing that's easy for you, and how that is for finding people, is, is the route you got to go. And then you got to see if you like it. You know, I've talked to some people who just were more tacticians or were much more into being in, in and around people that they don't like the lack of control as a, a, a an online coach because there is a lot. So if you need to have every single thing controlled and need everything to be absolutely perfect, that's probably not going to be a great avenue for you. Whereas if you can foster the belief and the hope and the um, patience in, in your athletes and you can deliver an awesome program and then guide them along the way through it with, again, with patience and, and trust. Uh, then it's a good spot for you. If you like to connect with people, it's awesome. It's really cool that way. But if you need, if you need to connect to the physical part, and you need to just move, like you, you need to see things, you need to look at it as a machine and, and, and the technical parts, and you need to be in and on top of it. Like then, online is probably not going to be great. And also, there's a lot of other bullshit that you have to deal with if when you're doing an online business. You're not just coaching. You're not just training, you're doing other shit, whether it is your social media or whether it is just cause it, or, or just your, your marketing Because eventually once you start getting results and things start to grow, like you're going to want to see if you can reach more people or make it easier for yourself because as it gets busier, like you're going to have less time. So you can't just use the same old stupid processes of, of just like, uh, writing everything out from scratch and sending it to them in the mail or something like you have to start to build, um, build processes in place. And that's something that is not coaching. So if you don't like doing that stuff and you don't necessarily foresee yourself in it for uh, like a long-term career or something like that, if it's something you want to dip your toes into, it's like a side hustle, or you want to see if it's some, a viable source, like then you might not like it. You might think this is not the the main thing for you. If you want to just, just do the coaching then just do the coaching. Don't do the business building. And uh, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to grow uh, enough of a respectable way of living for other coaches to, to potentially help them. Or if you just supplement their income right now, uh, we got nothing in terms of hiring because you know, it takes a minute, but... That's the idea. There there will be companies like mine that do pop up that are going to hire. So if that, that's something else to really consider, like do you want to do the business stuff or do you just want to do the coaching stuff? Because they are uh, totally different things. Cool. All right. So that's going to kind of wrap us up here. I do, again, appreciate the the time for taking in the questions. I'll make sure to reach out on social media, hit you guys up for those who did submit questions and answer either that and just kind of let you know what the answers are, um, or that this is going to be out and ready for you to listen to. I hope this was helpful. I hope that you learned something. I hope this wasn't crazy boring because it might have been really boring. If we we'll just move, let's just put it at two times speed, whatever, just get through it. You got it. Cool, all right, guys. Well, I appreciate you, appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon.